Hi. Hi. Welcome back to Hider Practice. Hider Practice, episode seven digital applications. like every episode is like it's really interesting to talk about it in this time of covid uh because we're at home and we're things are transitioning but i think this is important to talk about applications because yes things are transitioning but it doesn't mean that things are going to go back to necessarily how they were uh we're all adjusting and incorporating a strategy in a real way is going to be vital going forward because we also don't know are we going to be shoved back at home again in the future? Mm-hmm. And also, like Sean was saying last week, you know, this is how we get data on the people who are interested in us. And again, how, what Natasha said that even the week before about surrounding yourself with people who like your work and support your practice and really bolstering that and how important it is to find those people and get there. So that's what you can do. Um. I think in terms of this idea of application, this isn't like talking about how to write an application (laughs) into like a digital grant. First off, I think we should clarify that just in case. Yes. Yes. Uh, Application means like, how do you actually apply or or use or work within this digital structure, which is something that we had talked about last week. So last week we said data. Mm-hmm. And then also social media, websites, and sales, and how those things are engaging the conversation to be more transparent. Yeah. And I and think that's pushing things forward in a good definitely. way. Definitely. And somehow building some sort of value, mm-hmm. whether it's economic value or your symbolic value. So, like, what do you actually bring to the table? that elusive brand recognition value of, mm-hmm. you know, yourself as so people can like know. And I think that's a good, I mean, it definitely is an amorphous, not necessarily monetizable immediately, but long-term it can actually be translated uh, with building your following and having a, a clear, concise output and voice that is, that translates across your, digital strategies, if that's your website, your e-commerce, your Instagram, all of those things, because then people who are looking for art, who are looking for collaborators, or people who you're reaching out to, to collaborate, when they come to look at your stuff, they'll see that, oh, this is who this person is. I see what their voice is. I see what they're doing. Um, And having that kind of application across the different platforms I think is important so that's sort of what you're going to suggest in terms of your position as a curator that's what you're going to be looking for in terms of how to apply so I guess um, it's consistency or I guess what we've been talking about is the standardization of your profile so Mm -hmm. sort of it becomes it is not it becomes it's the same amongst all the different platforms because I think sometimes like the discrepancies in different platforms is also confusing because it's like is this updated is this not true like what exactly is this? yeah it is it's hard to sometimes it's hard to keep up and if you're you know and it's not 
I'm sure it's like, it, it feels like unfair because I'm sure you want to have some place where you can just be like freely 100% personal, but you know, people are using Instagram as a selling tool now and as a portfolio tool now, like this is my work. This is what I'm working on. This is what my process is. So if it gets too mixed up, then I get confused. Is this your work? Is this someone else's work? If it's not clear, um, if you're very formal on your Instagram and then I go to your website and it's like super silly, that's confusing. And I don't know which one I'm going to get. And I, you know, depending on what I know, am I going to try to crack through that to figure out what I'm going to get? Um, but do you even, I mean, that goes down to the question of do you have time firstly and secondly, right. Are, do you even want to? Do you know what I mean? It's like, if there's, if you come across two things, you're just sort of like, that's, would you consider that as unprofessional? Well, because it's funny that we said to clarify, like, that this isn't a digital application at the beginning, but it kind of is now, you know, it's your website and your Instagram and your Twitter or whatever your portfolios are, your Patreon page, whatever it is that you're using they are a little bit like an application. Like I'm looking at it the same way I would look at a resume if I was hiring somebody. Mm -hmm. um, this is where you put your work and this is how you show and this is your voice. And you, you know, not to sound too much like my mother or my grandmother, but you only have one chance to make a good first impression. And if it becomes difficult to figure out what I'm looking at if it becomes difficult to figure out like what you're trying to tell me as an artist um or a potential collaborator then i just, i don't think that it's too much of an exaggeration to say that it's human nature to think that like maybe that would translate into other ways of working with someone you know so how many pictures should somebody have in terms of what their profile should be i mean I'm not really sure. I feel like I've had this conversation so many times mm -hmm. in the last two weeks, but do people still talk about portfolios? Is, is portfolio like, are, are people still submitting portfolios for them to be considered to be rep by a gallery? Like, is this still a thing? I, I don't know. Cause I, I used to bring know. my book. I know, right? Um, and, you know, and Sean was talking about it last week, you know, like you can't submit work to, galleries most of the time um but i don't think i think that the portfolio is instagram now i think that the portfolio totally. is is your you know is your website i think it's first and foremost i think it's instagram and then i think it goes to your website because if someone likes what you're doing on the one thing then they'll click click that link in the bio and they'll go to wherever you're directing them to um but i think that the that can be your portfolio and it has to be and it is you know, I've looked for a lot of, some artists still don't have websites, which is frustrating. And it's, and it is hard when I go to a Instagram and there's nothing there, or I don't know what the person's working on because I'm spoiled because so many people are using it like that. And it is such an easy tool for me to use, even though it's, you know, part of like the Facebook conglomerate nightmare uh, platform. It's, it's a really easy tool and you know, I take advantage of it and it's it, having a good voice and having like your work that you're actively working on is great. Or it doesn't even have to be your work, but like, again, like your point of view, like this artist who, you know, I've like 
place like two or three pieces of hers. Her name's Al Freeman. She's hilarious. And she just posts other things of other people, but she's very clear about it. And I know it's not her work, but it's her, I don't know, her perspective, I guess. And I, I think that's where it becomes really tricky because it's like, do I only put stuff on my Instagram that is of my work for it to become right. my online portfolio in hopes that the algorithm will trigger a dealer, a collector, a patron to look at my work? Yeah. And I think it becomes really tricky. So for somebody like me, I used to have a friend who would photograph my work. Because it's not easy to go and photograph your own work when you make installations. Yeah. And so he would literally frame it. Like I would have to call him and be like, hey, I made something. Can you come and do it? But they became all the images that I would use for my portfolio during my, my undergrad. Mm-hmm. And I think it becomes so tricky because I feel like when you're operating in especially today, but in social media, you feel like everything needs to have the perfect lighting because if not, you know, and that's half the battle when you're an artist that you're not doing photography work or you're not doing print work. It's just that the discrepancy, it's, it doesn't look right. Right. You know, and I think that makes it seem it's, it's such a big battle. Like you've done this thing and then you don't want to undersell yourself. So like, what do you do? You know what I mean? And it's like, I can imagine that a lot of artists would feel this way because then it's just like, oh, I don't, I don't don't want to put it out because it doesn't look right. I don't know what to have to frame this because like, I don't think people are going to be interested. And then, so in terms of, I think, how do you actually work within this structure, which is asking you to have these standards Mm -hmm. of, you know, like we want to see the visuals sorry, I take that back. We don't want to, we need to, because we operate in the visual industry, right? So we need to be able to go and see some sort of visual representation of your work in order for a conversation to even begin. Right. So how do you actually operate within the structure, understanding that People are going to be looking at the data. People are going to be looking on your social media profile. People will be looking if you have a website, which by the way, you should in order for you to get to sales because you're actually not the first dealer who said that to me. Um, Dealers have said, I can't find them. I, I find some work on social media and it's not up to date. Right. And whatever is on the social media looks interesting but there's no, but it might be like two, three years old. It's like, did you stop making work? Are you still making work? And then there's no website. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I want to contact you, but then I can't. Yeah. And then sort of like, as the artist, you've, you've sort of shot yourself in the foot because they can't find you. Right. And then, and then we're all like, why are you coming to knock on our door? So how do you do that? Like as an yeah. as a curator, like as a dealer, as somebody who's actively looking for pieces to buy for a collector, what more can an artist do to go and like streamline this digitally in order mm-hmm. for them to be found? 
No, I think having like the clear, those clear places, like working on your SEO. And again, now is like the time. There's so many tutorials that are open and YouTube videos that are free and classes that are discounted or free for 30 day trials of making sure that when someone Googles you, you know, Susie Q artist, boom, you're top of the list. Um, and then also, you know, making sure that like you're kind of participating. This is like, this kind of goes back to what Natasha was saying about like looking into other artists who practice similar you know, conceptual practices as she does. So she's like aware is like, you know, if you're, if you're a conceptual artist, like Natasha is, are you following other conceptual artists? Are you seeing what they're doing? Are you, because you don't have to copy what they're doing. You can look at what they're doing and see none of this works for me in my practice. Awesome. You've already eliminated one entire path of going to because you're seeing what that person's doing and you know that you don't like it. Um, if someone, you know, sometimes there's a very famous photographer, I'm not going to name, but it's so funny because his Instagram is terrible and it's just the worst pictures. And it's so funny because every time he posts something, I'm like, how are you such a brilliant photographer? But your Instagram is so terrible and he's much older. Um, and his practice is fine and he's represented by the big, big dog. So like, we're not, we're not really worried about him, but it's, it's funny because it's so inconsistent. And I would say if I was his dealer or his gallery representation, I'd be like, Hey buddy, like maybe you should work on this because this is how you don't get new collectors because they're going to be like, Oh, this place is having a show of his. Let me check out his Instagram. And then you see a bunch of terrible photos. It's like, Ooh, this isn't great. But would that only be new collectors of a specific age, though? Yes. But that's the fucking future. And I think that so many people are so, it's, again, I know I've said this, and I'll say it again. I'll say it every day for the rest of my life until I die. Um, that, you know, you can't bemoan fighting over the same 200 collectors if you're not actively looking for new people. Because there's, you know whole generations of people with disposable income and or just passion for art who want to participate. There are people who want to participate. Every time I go, so many of my friends in Los Angeles are not art people and they're always asking me, how can they learn? How can they go? Like they don't feel comfortable going to galleries and like Instagram's a super safe place for people who I'm, you know, not selling to yet are sending me Insta things on, you know, in my DMs. What do you think of this artist? What do you think of this? I just saw this. What do you think of that? And it's like such a quick way to communicate that they feel comfortable in. Like this is a safe place for them. And having that tool to like, if you're not utilizing that tool and it feels, you know, this is against the, the purest elitist, practice of like going into the studio and just toiling away for eight hours but social media is important because you can find the big collectors are on there Rakowski's on there Dacus Jano's on there like people are major people are participating and this is a valid realm and if you don't want to participate that's fine but then people aren't this is the reality of 2020 and we're not going to know how to find you and sometimes that's hashtags and sometimes that's texting with, you know, or commenting on other people or reaching out to people through there. And it's just, a, it's such an easy way to, to get your work out there. 
and it's easy it's an easy way to communicate this is my um this is this is my studio this is my work in progress this is a final work this is a piece from five years ago you know to be fair though i was uh i went on to my first virtual studio visit this week Mm -hmm. and honestly um, i had no idea what was happening like I know what was happening, mm-hmm. but I just found myself just not being engaged. I'm yeah. not even gonna lie. The guy was just speaking and he was talking about his work, you know, like Vanna White, like oh. telling me all about his work. And I was just I sat there staring at my screen thinking I just I can't I can't. I'm just so not interested in this. Oh my gosh, and, I have a studio visit this week. Now I'm not looking forward to it. A Zoom, sorry, a Zoom visit. But, but like, I'm, I think in my head, to be fair, I was thinking of something else. I think I was thinking that it would be quite like AR-like or like VR-like where I yeah. would go in and there would be like a floor map and then I could click and drag on stuff and like look at it and then yeah. like... I don't know how I decided that was what was going to happen, but it was about like a hundred percent. And I was just sat there again, like this man with his painting, gesturing and telling me the left, the bottom left-hand corner about some brushstroke. And I was just like, I am not going to be able to listen to this. Like, yeah. I've just checked out. It's literally in one ear out the other. And I was like, oh, yeah. this is bad. Um, so, but I do think that maybe like a bigger overarching way of saying this is participation. Mm -hmm. You need to participate. So when you have, when you are up to date and you have your profiles up to date for your website, for Instagram, if you're doing stuff on Facebook, like whatever media platform, even LinkedIn, it's about the participation. And I think that that also fits really nicely with who we're going to be speaking with this week. Mm -hmm. So both of our guests currently have online exhibitions up, which they have curated and asked for submission on their own. Amazing. So I think it's understanding that there's actually opportunities online and submitting stuff like the actual participation sometimes is not necessarily as passive as hoping that your algorithm gets picked up by Instagram or your SEO by Google. It's actually going through the hashtags or whatever it is and see what you can apply for Mm -hmm. and get onto these online exhibitions as well. Exactly. And again, that's, what you were saying with the participation and like going through that because there are Instagrams and Twitter pages and blogs and email lists that you can get on that are 100% devoted to getting artist opportunities out there. This is where you can apply. This is the, this is how, and some are easier than others. Some are free, some are expensive and you can do that. And then, but that's, but you have to participate. 
because those opportunities are, unless you've built a network of people, like someone who's super compulsive like I am, and I will send you those opportunities as they come into my inbox, a lot of, they're not knocking on your door. It's true, actually, she does. And if you're looking for that <laughs> and you're not on her mail list, actually, you should get on the Slack because yes. every so often there's just stuff and I look at it when I open it I was like what <laughs> I get like so confused I was like okay um but yeah like if you're looking for a community you're looking for a community of similar interest people within the arts joining the to practice the practice slack channel also mm -hmm. offers you that um if you don't really necessarily know how to engage like sliding into someone's dm yeah you know, like that's, I actually spoke with somebody earlier this week who had joined the Slack community and she was asking a question on Instagram and I randomly just like answered her question. Yeah. And then we had this like full on chat and I was like, well, are you, are you doing research for your next piece? Mm -hmm. And like having that one-to-one -one engagement which also fits really nicely with like what we're going to be doing next week. Yeah. Which is having that engagement and, and finding your community to have, I'm going to use the word crit quite loosely, but basically, yes, it's like a peer to peer crit. So bouncing your ideas off with people who are within the industry, like that's super useful as well. Mm -hmm. No, it is. And it's, and the funny thing, it's not a funny thing. It is a thing. Maybe it's funny like having a lot of people want to talk about it you know like you were saying a, a couple I'm weeks ago <laughs> like you were saying a couple weeks ago like these people are just human like their position sounds fancy or their what's mm. it called sounds like intimidating but you know even the bigger people like they still just want to talk about art and I found that is like you know when I'm catching up with gallerists about you know what we're looking for for like this collection or that collector you know, some of it just, we just want to talk about art and just see what other people are making and how are people doing this kind of stuff. And people, we all need this connection. I think if this COVID quarantine is telling us anybody is we all need this connection and we need this communication and we can take advantage of the digital. And if you participate, you can build these friendships, you can build your network and you can get your work out there. Because again, like Natasha was saying two weeks ago, you know, she like gets off on getting people connected and you just need one of those people in your life to like, no, for sure. And what your work is and be like, Oh, okay. Because then when someone asks them, it's like, Oh, great. Oh, I know somebody. No, for sure. And that sense of the connection. So Cassandra and Kate, which are our two guests for this week, I was super, I followed Kate. So her Instagram is Young Space. Mm -hmm. And I followed her for years. And I was so surprised when I DM'd her. She had put on an Instagram, like how to do Instagram as an artist's mm -hmm. ebook. Ooh. And I was like, oh, that's super useful. And so I wrote to her and I was so surprised with somebody who has such a big following online. Mm -hmm. She literally wrote back to me in like 10 minutes. Yeah. And I was like, 
Oh, but that's also the thing is people who have big followings have them because they engage with their followers. I just never thought that she would get back to me so quickly. It's amazing. Um, And the same thing as Cassandra, she, I was also really interested with what she was doing and she was very interested in to practice a practice. So I was just, I also wrote to her. This is like basically it tells you what I do all day long is that I write to people all the time. But I was like, oh, this is so, so interesting. Like people actually get back to you super quickly. Mm-hmm. And Cassandra also has a really big following. So, you know, on the arts editor, I think that her handle sort of basically tells you exactly what it is that she does. Yeah. So I think, you know, that sense of the participation is really important to just know that it might not be the first try it might not be the second try but there will be random people who will just get in touch with you because Mm -hmm. your work resonates with them exactly and that's the other thing about the digital application of like if you reach out and then they look at your instagram and they're like oh this is what to practice practice is this is what this is what eric is about yeah i'm interested in that um, I also say this is I'm terrible at Instagram because I just post pictures of like my neighborhood all the time and my like walks. That's well when it's art time, I do like a lot of art stuff. But it's you know, so if somebody like looks at my Instagram now, they're like, eh, she likes gardening. But for someone like you, who's much better at it than I am, <laughs> a lot it's of like, stuff. Yeah, but it's like you see it and you're like, oh, this person's someone who's like consuming information. She's putting it back out there and like this is what's important and this is what's not. And it just feels like such like a great like intelligent tastemaker kind of like level of like communication of like this is what's going on. And like you cut through so much of like the noise. And I love it because it's like, oh, I know how much you read and I know how much you're um, doing. And like, if this is what you think is important, like, then I know I, I have to pay attention. Speaking of, what did you read and hear and see in all of that jazz this week? So I was listening to, uh, I think the Harvard Business Review podcast, and I picked up this saying, which I had never heard before, which is, if your team is more than a two pizza team, then it's too big. And I was like, what does that mean? And the guy was saying- pizza by yourself? Well, Well, firstly, (laughs) I was just like, oh, that's so interesting. You know, like, how do you fix this problem of too many hands in the cookie jar? Mm -hmm. And you really just need the people you need on your team to go and solve the problems you need to solve. And if you've got more than, this isn't coming out correctly, if two pizzas can't feed the team, then it's too many people yeah and I was like that's so interesting so So, like it really makes me think like okay as I move forward I guess that's it I guess you can only have two pizzas 
but then it's just then then you know this the crazy social scientist in me i'm just like how big are the pizzas right how do you how do they <laughs> slice the pizzas is this for dinner or is this for lunch or is this a snack you know like it is, is like Alexis what's the topic there because she said she could eat a whole one what does that mean is that a i know so pizza? then i was like mm, okay and i was just like what if it's like a vegetarian one versus you know like a meat lover which <laughs> is like that fills you up completely differently i'm so it confused uh, well that's really funny but so, i think but it's a, but it's a really useful. good point of like especially like when we're talking about like the people who are being much more nimble in their adjustments to like digital are obviously are smaller situations versus like a ginormous institution mm-hmm. and i think that's because i i read this week about the blanton museums in austin texas it's a smaller museum but it's it's got a really nice programming um how the success they've had in not having to furlough or let go of anybody because she reached out to everyone and was like what can you do and all of these people got back with like crazy different skills and i think it's like a security guard or a janitor maybe had like beautiful handwriting so he's writing thank you notes to donors Mm -hmm. and security guards are working on you know more um accessible like wayfinding and like somebody knew how to edit videos that like wasn't in that department and so like everybody's working and she's been able to this director she's been able to redistribute her budget because they're not using it on the things they normally would into keeping everyone employed and using what they needed and it is a smaller space and it is a smaller team and but i think that's like you know it's that to pizza be nimble and you can kind of adjust because if it's it's kind of hard to probably redistribute your talent if you're working at the met you know and you have i mean who knows how i mean i don't know how many people they have there a thousand a million they employ (laughs) one trillion people guys this is a fact tell people that uh but it's it's nice to be it's nice to be nimble it is and what's interesting on the flip side when you say that it's not the big institution something i read today actually is that the guggenheim is decommissioning a donald judd and i was like what my face um yeah i the the title of the article was so interesting to me basically the Guggenheim has decided that they no longer deem certain artwork as artwork anymore. And so the age old question of, well, if an institution buys my piece, but then it's in storage, like, what do I do with that? You know what I mean? Cause right. it's like, it's still on my CV, but then no one ever sees it. Okay. Like, isn't it, even worse now that it was part of the permanent collection i didn't realize that some someone some magical human being comes along and it's like sorry this is no longer deemed as art so we're gonna decommission it like i didn't know happened? that was a thing i didn't know that was possible honestly i'm i have very unpopular opinions about uh, museums selling artworks to maintain the museum budgets um, I think they should, because not everything is, you know, people made weird decisions 50 years ago, you know, and people donated things that have no application for the future. That's fine. I don't care. But 
I think it's one thing to like sell something because you'd like to keep your employees employed and a roof over your art's head. And then another thing to say, mm, not art. Isn't that crazy? It's not art. You know what I'm going to tell at the Guggenheim? Decommissioning? Not art. That's it's not so art what you're doing. I was just like, oh, wow. Insane. Okay. That's somebody seriously has authority to go as like, did you go through a panel? Did you like, did, was it some sort of like an executive order? Like nice. what happened? I don't know. <gasps> I know. Um, so yeah, so that's basically what I have read and listened to this week, which I was like, oh, the two pizza thing was definitely uh, a, thing. a thing to think about. And, I'm integrating and then, that to my life forever. Yeah. <laughs> and then the decommissioning thing was just completely, I was like, wow, I didn't know that this can happen. I there um, were too many pizzas in that room when they yeah, made that decision. Definitely. Um, <laughs> either too many pizzas or not enough pizzas. The, some, there was a pizza issue in that Guggenheim meeting, and I'm not, I'm not proud of that. I'm not happy about that. Um, I also read on a little, on a positive note, uh, apparently not a fair, online fair with the very transparent pricing structure, cooperative uh, money arrangement of, you know, people getting, everyone getting money as going well. Yes. Which I is great. That, yeah. mm-hmm. um, we bought something, I bought with Fur Collector, I bought something and then uh, found a gallery that I never, I wasn't familiar with and we got something from them so uh not a fair doing great doing great work and that's transparency transparency man and i think that's really positive because i think that's a big big fear of that transparency is people think it's not going to work because you're losing some sort of elitism power struggle knowledge hoarding thing that uh people aren't going to be into it but i think I think that the mood's changing, man. Times are changing. Let's roll with progress and let's be open. And I think that people are digging it. And no, definitely. Great. We can see that with, with our guests in terms of doing things that are different. Yeah. Engaging with your audience. So this week we are speaking with Kate Mothis. She has an Instagram page that's called young space and that's spelled y-n-g-s-p-c she promotes a lot of artists and then we're also speaking with cassandra bows she is the arts editor on instagram also talking a lot about emerging artists young artists so I think it's going to be really interesting in terms of how to go and actually apply or work within the current digital structure. What does it, what does it take to put on an online exhibition, ask for submissions? That's like the admin side of things. And like, why, why do it? Yes. Amazing. And I'll put all of their information in a little blurby. And then along with us, uh, you can find me at hide or die on all platforms or alexishide.com. Hide is spelled H-Y-D as in David E. And Erica? 
And you can find me on Instagram. It's T-O-P-R-A-C-T-I-S-E-A-P-R-A-C-T-I-C-E. Yes. And I will put that also in the blurby to practice a practice. Um, Until next time. Bye. Bye.